I show up at 3am, she's still up watching vacation. And I see her pretty face. And it takes me away to a better place. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands. And we have taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast in which we talk about all the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is Bono Vox, and I am one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again, Larry Mullen Jr. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Famous <laughs> bass player Larry <laughs> Mullen yeah, Jr. because he doesn't talk. Oh, wait, is he not the bass player? <laughs> the, no. He's the, the drummer. Oh, you the know what? Player. We'll find out what I think about you two when we get there. But let's just say I'm on brand already. <laughs> Well, we can't forget the world-famous drummer, Adam Clayton. Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, you two. (laughs) And, of course, their beloved frontman, The Edge. I was trying to be your delay unit. Yeah, right. Did you get that? Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, it introduces it. Hey, it's me, the edge from you two. You two, you two, you two, you two. I'm what gives you two the edge. <laughs> no, that's surely like the edge's driver or something. Yeah. I don't know his real name. The edge. The edge's real name. Yeah. Uh, neither do I. Bono's there you go. Name, Bono's real name is Paul Houston. Paul Houston. The Edge. <laughs> <laughs> well, there can't be two The Edges. <laughs> you My be... son is also called The Edge. <laughs> you be Bono. <laughs> well, I'll be Bono, but I'm not going to pronounce it like that, so... Ah, <laughs> uh, here we go. The Edge's real name is David Evans. Ugh, no wonder it changed it. <laughs> What's wrong with David? That's a perfectly normal name. Well, yeah, so, that's so, no, that's so no is less. The edge. <laughs> yeah, it's it's no less boring than Adam Clayton or Larry Mullen Jr. Mm. I think Larry Mullen Jr. is probably the most exciting name, yeah. apart from Smith. <laughs> is it more exciting than the edge? Coming name. <laughs> that's rank names, guys. <laughs> Look, this podcast is about being critical and sometimes about ranking things. I'm in just in. A, I'm in the mode. I'm in the right gear. Okay. I'm ready to go. Okay. Well, have we got the countdown for you? I hope so. Indeed. At number 15, it is the uh, long-awaited return of the living end. This is second. Solution! Coming in at number 15 in the 1998 Hottest 100, that's a little ditty I like to call Second Solution, because that is the name they chose for it, and because it is a frequent uh, recurring motif of the song, uh, the titular phrase of the song, if you will. God, we're going deep. It's a definitive article in the title, Second Solution, but in the chorus, you don't know what it is or if they're going to get it. Right, because the way he phrases it, will I get second solution? Yeah. I don't hear an article in there. Is it just me or am I missing so the I think... Arm? No, I don't think, yeah, so I think it's like a know, Neil Armstrong thing. What I want to know is, will I get death row? Or is there a second solution? As in, can I not, live? Can, can I, I not get yeah, death can row? I, can I get not death row? Yeah, will I Please. die today or will I get second solution? Oh, as in like, A... Or B. Yeah. Second yeah. solution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's, let's take a quick survey of the, of the room. So if, would, would, of... would you rather get Death Road or B? Other. Well, mm-hmm. this is going, back to, going back to our death ranking episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's right. Callback for that one, yeah. listeners. Yeah. Remember that funny bit? 
Five stars, please. Thank you. <laughs> please and thank you. Please and thank you. Five stars. That was a mess. <laughs> Obviously, it's a, like a known bit of why the song rules, but it feels like the way he puts the emphasis, he's saying solution second, right? Not second solution. At the end bit where he's going like, solution second. second. It, sounds like, it sounds like he's passing mm. it the other way. But obviously that bit is just so fucking good of the song. Like, that, that, that final bit. That, the final bit where mm. it kicks in. after it, yeah, yeah, Everyone is firing off on all cylinders on this one. Like, I love this whole album. It's very dear to my heart. I think one of the reasons that I love it is, is because... It's such a wanky thing to say, but it literally just sounds like three guys in a fucking room. You know, there aren't heaps of overdubs. There's only a couple of extra people, like their horn section from Area 7 on the song Trapped, which is sick. But apart from that, there's no, like, heat, there's no, like, massive guitar overdubs. There isn't, like, quantized bass, all that sort of shit. Like, you can hear that it's a double bass. In later Living End stuff, like, it's so produced that you can't hear it to double bass. But in this, like, you can hear the thug, 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 thug. It just really fucking hits. And, like, every bit of those drums, like, it just fucking thwacks. It just bounces off the wall, you know? Oh, some of those fills, like, are just nuts. To directly syncopate and match up with the... And as we've discussed at length, Chris Cheney is a shit-hot guitarist. Big and the time. guitar solo in Second Solution it's is up there, up there with probably my favourite guitar solos of the 90s. I, I love that shit. I think that what you've hit on with... I mean, like, number one, we talked about Living End being a band that's disguising just how virtuosic they actually are by playing this style of music. But it's exactly right. There's a limit to how much they can hide their talent. They are super talented, and it just comes across. Even the riff, man, it's just, like, so, like... It's just beautifully managed. It, man. Yeah. yeah. The, like, these guys exploded at just the right time to capture yeah, the, totally. the zeitgeist of late 90s Australian guitar music so perfectly, and this exemplifies it. And they also are just channeling such a unique identity at this point, which is exactly, I think, what you were talking about. Deeds. like the sum of all those parts of all the band members doing those things the fact there is that double bass going on and the drums are just so and the guitar is just so leads to the unique identity that was the living end at this time these guys who were playing a very punk rock influenced style of pub rock that was also heavily influenced by psychobilly and rockabilly it's so funny that like the rollicking drums and the double bass make the rockabilly underpin everything yeah. but it's like they can't help but write these like sing-along pub rock anthems like it's, like it's like yeah man I'm rockabilly and then it's just like ah oh, it turned into this belting out pub rock song oh well like yeah I find it really interesting DJ you said it sounds like three guys in a room because the, the gang vocals are so present in this song. They use yeah, it's so them shouting along. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But the, like, like the rhythm section getting in on it. it. Sounds like they're at the pub and those gang vocals represent everyone else, which is a genius move because it means that when you're when you go and see these guys live, which you're definitely going to do in 1998, you know oh, yeah. exactly what to do. They yeah. told you. Yeah, That's I remember seeing the them team. at uh, Big Day Out in 05, 06, um, and it was like late afternoon, still sunny, and just. It was just a huge pit of everybody singing along to everything. I think I've never felt that much like camaraderie oh. in a group of people at a gig. It was it was just beautiful. Everyone yeah. was just there to have fun, and everyone knew everything. Because the Living In Era, perfect. Like, like as much as they are like a now they're, they're like a headlining band that play like lo, lo, proper venues like that. There is something perfect about their music, which is sunny afternoon beers, singing, arms up, shouting music. Like then this is this song exemplifies it perhaps more than any of their others. Like, it mightn't be everybody's particular favourite Living End song, but it's always everyone's up their favourite Living End song mm. because it's just so fucking raucous and you want to yell along to everything. You want to just jostle around. It's perfect high-energy music for what they were doing. This is exactly why the Living End were one of the greatest bands of the, of the time. This was released as, like, a double single with Prisoner of Society. It's kind of an EP. It's, like, six tracks, but it yeah. count, counted it as a like single. It like a double A side, yeah. Yeah, and it was the highest-selling Australian single of the 90s. Fucking good effort. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Second Solution. And Prisoner of <laughs> Society. Like, so... Yeah, because yeah, some people who weren't didn't know if they would like the album would get that. They would get that single. Like, yeah. oh, it's got both of the songs I like. Perfect. <laughs> Pretty perfect. Yeah. And it's, it courts fandom. Yeah, it does. Like, all that gang vocal stuff, the fact that it is so accessible, the fact that it solicits involvement even by listening, it turns you into a fan. It's a conversion song. Mm. Just by its very nature, it's going to bring you on side. 
it's a piston as well. It just keeps stabbing. Mm. Like it's just it doesn't stop punching in. That could get super tiresome. But there's also a smoothness of the vocals that goes over the top of that that allows it to have a sense of flow. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the shift from sort of old living end to modern living end is is Chris Cheney trying to like prove himself as a songwriter more. Maybe that's not true, but that's that's the impression that I get. But then I look at songs like this and like this is such just a well-written song, even just lyrically. This story and just the opening lines like are so they inject you into that action so quickly. And you, you can wrap yourself up in, in the energy of the song instantly. Like, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Number 14, this is Blink 182 with Josie. Fucking two. Coming in at number 14 in the 1998 Hottest 100, that's a little ditty called Josie, bracket, everything's gonna be fine, closed bracket. Andrew. David. Your girlfriend <laughs> takes you home when you're too drunk to drive. And she doesn't get all jealous when you hang out with the guys. Still true, yeah. She laughs at your dumb jokes this when is, no one does. Let's not drag me too deeply on this. <laughs> <laughs> this getting... I mean, let's face it, your jokes are pretty bad. Damn it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> the whole podcast, look at this. <laughs> right up yeah. to this very moment. Five years ago, you got down with you. Hey, guys, we have to talk about Andrew. We have to do it. We'll start a podcast. <laughs> gonna, yeah, if you go straight in, it's going to break his heart. Let's start a podcast for five years. If part of <laughs> Intervention is about your bad jokes. Why did we spend years <laughs> in a situation encouraging you to make more jokes? We lost his dumb jokes when no one did. Because then, when we bring it up, we'll be like, dude, you know. Look at the last five years. Yeah. We have it all on record. record. Guys, That's it's, entrapment. Guys, it's been a rough week for me. I'd rather not be dragged <laughs> so publicly. Um, in, the, in the past, when we've spoken about Blink-182 and pop punk in general, I've always been a bit of a dickhead about it and expressed like my... Someone who grew up... And strongly identifies with the, I guess, the idealism and also the cynicism of punk rock. I always saw like what was advertised as pop punk to be like a major label watered down affectation of it in as a means of appropriating something sincere in order to just appeal to the masses and make money. And I think Blink are perhaps the most exemplary of that kind of thing, but. Fucking this song, man! I love this song so <laughs> much. I it's. Like that thick bass line that runs through it all, the dorkiness of the lyrics, like just like the fact that like his like dream girl is someone who's watching National Lampoon's Vacation <laughs> in the early hours of the morning. Even um, who, who's the the bad singer of Blink One Eight Two? The one that left the band. Is that Tom? Tom. Oh, Tom, yeah, the yeah, alien yeah. guy. Even the First bad- of all, how fucking dare <laughs> <laughs> His bad vocals are so fucking good. Like, I know that everything. Like, he's like straining so hard to be yeah. in a band. Like, it's just, th- this song, everything about it is just a fun, dorky. It's what I think pop punk does at its best, which is just present an explicitly pop song that just happens to have like thick, groovy bass lines and like distorted guitar. I think this is just infectious, so, so American college 
party music that like I can't help but be infected by the joy and like silliness of this song. But it's also incredibly sentimental. Like, it's it's super it's, sincere, right? It's like, borderline yeah, yeah. sappy. Yeah, so, I don't think she needs me quite half as much as I know I need her. Yeah. And like the I see her pretty face takes me away to a better place. It's it's sincere and sweet. But, like, but yeah. Dart of it doesn't actually get you somewhere with it. Like, like the, the, the sappiness <laughs> of it, like it's easy to distance yourself from it, but there's a bit of sweetness about it all. Like and maybe it's partly because it's coming from the kind of band that it is. I don't exactly know. But I think I it works a lot more than say the sentimentality of Damn It, which we know I wasn't a big I'm not a big fan of Damn It. I don't really like that song. And I think it works well because it's just it's not trying to say too much. It doesn't have any statement like, I guess this is growing up. That's the part of Damn It that really <laughs> gets to me. And it's a large part of that song. <laughs> so I, the, the fact that you're trying to, like, you've got that kind of statement thing, you're trying to hang your hat on there. Whereas, like, everything's going to be fine. I could believe that's more for Mark, the singer, than it is uh, even as a listener. It has an authenticity and a, and a kind of uh, insular nature that I think makes that sentimentality sing a little bit more. Mm. It wasn't actually written about a real girl. It was written about an imagined girlfriend. Oh, it's even dorkier. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. My yeah. Per- this is my perfect girl. This yeah, is Mark yeah, going yeah. like, yeah, she, yeah. Br- she brings me Mexican food just because. Yeah. And she lets me listen to the bands that I like. One of those bands was the Dancehall Crashes. One of the members of that band, at least Rogers, was a friend of Mark's who actually said, hey, why don't you call it Josie? And that huh. was named after her dog. Huh. Nice. So there you go. Dogs are the best and, people. And uh, mm. D- DHC uh, is what's uh, referenced in the actual lyrics, but it stands for Dancehall Crashes. That's the, mm. that's the particular band. I don't know yeah. them, but... Mm. That's good. Yeah. A lot of the time, Blink play the, like, we're really dorky card, and I don't buy it. No, because they're not dorks. They're jocks. Yeah, like, exactly. They're definitely not jocks. Whoa. I reckon they're... I don't know, man. They're, I reckon they're kind of jocky. They were burnouts. Yeah, true. Of the of the of the American They're cliches. Like, they were like hapless skater kids that they didn't fit in with the popular kids. Okay, but they definitely they like they weren't like the fucking like goths or like the punks or the outsiders, or whatever. But they were just like your regular like burnout dudes who'd sit around talking about getting out of town, getting wasted, fucking drinking longies and fucking skating in the park. But the point is that they're not dorks because Weezer are dorks. Like, dork is... Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Weezer. Dork is really... Yeah. yeah, it's really specific. Like, these guys can be dropouts or they can be losers, but to be a geek, a nerd, or a dork... There are other elements at yeah. play there. Like, like, like as much girls as, like, would like these guys. Like, yeah, exactly. Weezer, right. like, Weezer get, writing a song about a girl is very different to Blink One Eight Two writing oh, yeah. a song about a girl yeah. for like, a lot of reasons. Like, Blink One Eight Two got late in high school. Weezer did not. Yeah, probably a yeah. bit. Yeah, like, probably by Weezer, the other burnouts. Yeah. <laughs> They're good-looking young guys who are in a band and skate. That's like, oh, who would possibly like these yeah. people? Yeah, like, and they don't give a fuck, and they do things for fun. Yeah. And they're probably very humorous, yeah. funny guys. Whereas, like Weezer. Don't talk to girls. Yeah, I was dragging Weezer here. No, 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 but that is, yeah. but that is the Chad Blink-182 versus the Virgin Weezer. No, but it's an important thing to, like, when you talk about, like, dorks or losers or whatever. Like, yeah. it's nice to draw the parallel between those yeah. kind of yeah. college group paradigms that bands are playing with. I think this song is 45 seconds too long. I think I, it's too long as well. That, that yep. It stops, and then it does the kind of intro to the do song do again do and another chorus. Do Get rid of that. Yeah. No, yeah, 2.45, not 3.30. Don't repeat any lyrics. There's repeated lyrics in this. It's just like, no, nah, man, we, mm. got it, we got it the first time. You know, I don't mind the, the repeat of the intro because I think that's a really sweet intro. Like, you bring mm. it back, bring that back. But just, like, get in, get out. There's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of fast. There's like a false calf. ending, like they, it, it ends on a yeah. stop and then they go for another 45 seconds yeah, and then end you. on the stop again. It's yeah. like, don't do that. I think it works. I, I think to kind of bring it full circle and to give it one last rousing chorus. It is worth it for the second chorus. To end on a, everything's gonna be that, like. I'm saying it it should end there. It should end there the first time. But it doesn't. (laughs) What? He's saying it should. (laughs) I wouldn't. But I guess we're in different Blink 182s. (laughs) It's true. One man's Blink-182 is another man's Blink-182. Yeah, that's right. I another man's... What was the... Angels and Airwaves. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fucking slapper of a song. It is. Oh, it dude, it's so fucking cool. awesome. It's, and it was really refreshing for me because I didn't hear this song in high school. Yes. Oh, wait, yeah. what? Yeah, I didn't. No. When all the other guys were listening were to Blink-182... Were you in a bunker? Like... <laughs> I just... When all the other guys around me were listening to Blink-182 and I was listening to Opeth... I just missed out on hearing this particular song. And did Opeth not cover this? Does. No, Opeth did not. <laughs> Other people were listening to it around me, as I said, but um, 
I, I only caught like certain songs f- from that and I didn't like them at the time. This one wasn't one of the ones I caught, which is great because it allowed me now to come to it with fresh ears and actually evaluate them without any prior point of reference and actually enjoy this quite a lot. Mm. I think this is I'm, I think this is a great song. It's fucking great. Yeah. The energy Although, of it is so it's so messy. Yeah. Like, yeah it's just yeah, yeah. like everything is so That loose. was the thing about Scott, man. Oh. Like he always brought in the D beats and those like heaps of snare fills and like <laughs> just going to town the the, what's the what's the current drummer's name again? Uh, Travis Barker. Travis Barker, yeah, just going to town on Travis. <laughs> oh look, Travis is a very inc- he's incredibly he's ridiculous yeah, good drummer. I think the world of Travis as a performer and as a drummer, but at the same time, I'm fully aware that he is a very different drummer to to Scott because Travis is a very very calculated drummer. Scott would just get in there and go and was super sloppy. He'd go out of time heaps, but like, no one would care just because he'd just go at it with reckless abandon. Like, you listen to like Buddha and Flyswatter and stuff like that and it's it sounds like a garbage fire, but you're just like so into it because it's so endearing. That original trio because Mark is the only original member of Blink Left. To have a three-piece where you're the only original member, that is... That's wild to me. To think how much they've changed. And so I'm always kind of drawn to the the core original trio of Mark, Tom, and Scott. Because there was something really just special and really endearing about how the three of them played off one another. There's a really certain dynamic that really plays out, especially on Dude Ranch, that I, I'm really, really drawn to. Actually, funnily enough, you 2 as it stands, yeah. are the longest living band to have never had a lineup change. Very cool. Bit of trivia. That might come into play a bit later on. Who's to say? Oh, we didn't talk about the film clip. I love that fucking film oh, yeah, clip. And we all had a crush on Alyssa Milano. Incredibly, oh, incredibly oof. beautiful Alyssa Milano in that film clip. Good, Good lord. grief, man. Also very funny, they originally wanted the video to be them playing on a cruise liner that was sinking, and it's like, <laughs> everything's going to be fine as the as this huge ship sinks. Um, but that oh was my gonna... god, this would have been like around the time of Titanic, too. Yeah, that mm. was 97, right? So this would yeah. Been, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the studio were like, that's way too expensive. Our compromise is you can play in a basement and the basement will fill up with water. And then they obviously didn't do that either. I just think it's a very funny compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you want to do this huge thing? What if you play in a basement? <laughs> <laughs> what if you get wet in a room? Yeah. <laughs> the Strokes did that for You Only Live Once. Mm. Great video. And number 13, it's They Might Be Giants. This is Dr. Mother fucking They call me Dr. Worm Good morning, how are you? I'm Dr. Worm I'm interested in things I'm not a real doctor But I Giants coming in at number 13 in the 1998 Hardest 100. That is Dr. Worm. When I give the signal, my friend Nathan Harrison will play the solo. Yay! Yay it's Dr. Worm. Bitch. Yay. This is the best song. Yay. It is the only song. Oh my god. It is the only song. Like, I have such strong, fond memories of high school of like, hey, you, Andrew, were there. Yes. Uh, and you guys weren't there. But like, and other friends. And just like, enjoying finding this weird song. Yeah, finding this song oh. on fucking LimeWire or Because it would have been like a good five, six years old at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would have all discovered They Might Be Giants through Boss of Me. Yes, no, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm in the Middle. I knew them from this song, I think, because I um have never watched a full app of Malcolm in the Middle. What? 
it. Yeah. This is the sequel to the might get loud. You're yeah. gonna watch the Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> I'm on Twitch. I think it's a better show. Yeah, it's, 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 Dude, it's a prequel to Breaking Bad. Yeah. Like it's, it's very funny. It goes like, even before yeah, Better Call Saul. Yeah. Like you well, gotta go like, all the way back and watch Malcolm in the Middle. I don't like Breaking Bad. So motherfucker, Breaking Bad. No, this is for the bonus podcast where I talk about the poor use of dramatic irony in Breaking Bad. I'm interested in having this conversation with you. I I think Breaking Bad is pretty good. I know. I know. I'm in the vast minority. Well, they think it's pretty good, but they can handle. Criticism. <laughs> that line is so fucking sweet, oh, man. So yeah. That's the dream, right? That's yeah. where we all want to be. We we think we're all right, and we can still take it if someone has notes. Yeah. Most of my notes for this song, <laughs> oh, that line, are just lines yeah, right. from the song. <laughs> it's, because it's just like, how much more delight can you fit in here? The song is literally about a worm playing yeah. the drums. That's that's I, what um, it is. And they make it clear at the very beginning. Yeah. That he's, that he's not, not a real, real doctor, doctor but, but he is, is a real, real worm. Like, I am an actual worm. <laughs> it's so delightful that I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting too excited. But that's I'm, it. Every subsequent line is another level of delight that's added it is. on. It totally is. It's like I live like a worm. That's fucking play the funny, drums, man. Yeah. I'm getting good. I can handle yeah, criticism. Yeah. Yeah. I'll show you what I know. Yeah. The line about I left the front un- un- unlocked because I'm playing drums, so I can't hear the doorbell. <laughs> the um the the line that Deej you used to throw to Nathan R- introduce a second character <laughs> Rabbi Vol yeah. Rabbi Vol who plays a bass solo yeah. which oh. is literally just the melody it's line the melody. <laughs> and just like the <laughs> earnesty that is presented through the character of actually wanting to be a rock star worm like he because Dr. Like, worm does one day, hopefully, someone else will use my stage name, not just me. Yeah. Someone else will, uh, <laughs> will call me by my stage by name. Stage they will call me Dr. Worm. Oh ha- Does Rabbi Vol not call him Dr. Worm? <laughs> Does, if he calls him Rabbi Vol and <laughs> Rabbi Vol doesn't reciprocate, wow. he's like, someone's giving him. Not- <laughs> Rabbi Vol is a real rabbi. No, but no, he's, he's a, a real Vol. I think we have to assume that he's yeah. not a real rabbi, but yeah. he's a real vol. He, in the in, film, in the film there is a vol playing the, yeah. the um, double-necked bass. The double-necked bass. Does he have a yarmulke? Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. I can't um, remember. That's a gimme. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, not wait, sure. no, rabbis don't wear yarmulke. Or do they? We're, we're I'm getting into dangerous territory here, <laughs> yeah. talking just, about what isn't what not Jewish. <laughs> no, I just don't know where the rabbis no, wear yarmulkes. Yeah, yeah. I know yarmulkes are Jewish. Yeah. I don't know much about the. Judaism. I'm just, I'm just yeah. ignorant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and we also don't know much about how Vols interpret the the teachings of Judaism. So yeah, I don't know. We, don't, yeah. we know as little as we can about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm to go on the record saying I don't know much yeah. about that. Going in hard on Vol Torah. God damn it! How could you not be here for this song? It's like, so fucking pure. It is just purity. Yeah, it is. It is purely purity. That's exactly what it is. Some things in life are just wholesome and good. And one it, of these things is Doctor Worm by They Might Be Giants. Because like They Might Be Giants is a band I don't really know, but like they seem like they're like they ha- have equal affinities for like Ween and the Residents, but also like kids music. Yeah, Weird Al, Weird kind Al of cake. Yeah, yeah. There's all these kind of like elements playing there. They're weirdos, but they're weirdos in the sense that you'd, you'd be like, isn't it kind of weird how whenever you see him, he gives you a hug and a kiss on the lips? Yeah, but it's very sweet. That's <laughs> like what they might be giants are. Like it's like they're just this weird, sweet guy. Like yeah. it's lovely, and this is just fucking wholesome high five music. Totally. Uh, also, like um, one of the best horn lines probably in pop music ever just as a ter- in terms of yeah. like a horn hook I'm looking at you mighty mighty boss tones as like being <laughs> the only other contender that maybe snatched that crown yeah but like that horn line is joy my understanding this might be like completely apocryphal is that this was particularly big in Australia I had always been told or, or whatever picked up the idea that that Australia jumped on this song um, much more than anywhere else. Maybe that's not true, but I'd like to think it is because that would be nice. Well, no, maybe, it's, maybe it's just yeah. because of yeah. yeah its placement in this countdown. Maybe that's a, a symptom of that. <laughs> you know, like Triple J put it in the countdown. Everyone's like, I guess this was big in Australia. <laughs> I guess it was really big. <laughs> Better like it now. <laughs> the Doctor part. Apparently, this song was inspired uh, by Doctor Love by Kiss. Because the band was oh, just hell yeah. the band was just riffing on it and saying how ridiculous that song was. Huh. They just talked about it heaps as being this absurd song, "Doctor Love" by Kiss, which I don't know particularly huh, I well. Guess, I guess there's something I like about Kiss now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they gave us Doctor Worm. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. So that was the springboard behind them riffing on the ridiculousness of a Kiss song. Huh. Was how this song came to be born as a real worm, an actual worm, worm. an actual worm. <laughs>
the good <laughs> shit. Yeah, this is so fucking pure. Like, I have loved They Might Be Giants since I was pretty little. Like, obviously, Boss of Me was an entry point, and then I discovered, like, Dr. Worm and Birdhouse in Your Soul and uh, Istanbul, not Constantinople. Mm, of course. Yeah, yeah. classic. E- educational. Very as educational. well as just being joyful. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've talked a bit about this, how they are literally a cross-generational band. So, the Gen Xs that grew up listening to, like, Don't Let's Start and Anna Ang and, like, some of their, like, late 80s, early 90s stuff have had kids that grew up on Here Come the ABCs, Here Come the 123s, and Here Come Science, which all fucking slap. And they are still going to this very day. They put out an album back in January. They have a project called Dial-A-Song, which is where they literally write a new song and you call in a hotline and you listen to the song. Which has been it? going for a long time. Hasn't very it? Yeah. long time, it's a, yeah. it's a throwback to something that they did in the early stages of the band. We talk about a lot of the wonderful quirks of the story of They Might Be Giants the last time we talked about them. So do a search for that if you want to hear more about what the band is about. And yeah. It's, it, they've got a fascinating history. Uh, I've had the pleasure of seeing them live three times uh, now, and that will become four and five uh, mm-hmm. when they come back to Australia in February. They're doing a full career retrospective tour. So every night they are pitting uh, one decade of their music versus another decade of their music. The first night is going to be the 80s versus the 2000s. And then the next night is going to be the 90s versus the 2010s. What a team, what a Holzen band. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, like that's that, fun. And how amazing is that, that they have four sets <laughs> dedicated to each decade? Yeah. Where they, they are able to comfortably fill a full set of stuff from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and the 2010s. Very, very pure love I have for this band and this song. I think we only get to talk about TMBG a couple more times. It might just be once more. Mm. Or really? once or twice. Once, I, yeah. I can't remember. Mm. Like, I think something in, like, 2000, thereabouts. But, uh, fuck, we've got to get through this decade first. So let's, <laughs> let's focus on the here and the now and uh, let's enjoy our time with our good, close personal friend, Dr. Worm. <laughs> number 12, this is Ben Fold 5 with Brick. Fold 5 and number 12 in the 1998 Hottest 100. That's a little song called Brick from their album Whatever and Ever. Amen. And uh, what better way to uh, go through Ben Fold's dirty laundry than with the man who's been through his garbage? Adam. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with the song Brick by the band Ben Fold's 5. I imagine it's the same relationship that literally everyone has with by Ben Folds 5. It's, it's the song that you would have heard played on the radio that you would have been immediately drawn to because it is perfection in, in pop songwriting. It's so beautiful. But it's oh also just absolutely 
arresting in terms of its emotional impact, which is not something that you get from turning on your radio all the time. It's also something you literally don't get, like, as a kid. Mm. I had no idea what this song was about for years. This is a nice, sad song. Years mm. later. Oh. oh. Yeah. But that's exactly the thing, because we also all have the moment where you were with someone else and they way too gleefully said, oh, did you know that this song is about an abortion? It's very easy f- putting all those things together to forget about Brick as a song or to dismiss it in a kind of historical context. So I'm really thankful for the opportunity to listen to it again and be able to actually dig into it because... It is an absolute masterpiece of songwriting on oh, so, so many levels. After I listened to this song, um, then, like, the suggested songs were, like, other Ben Fold songs, and I was like, oh, man, this is very different to, like, Angry Dwarf and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, and, like, yeah, It's yeah. so funny, like, after we've spoken about Ben Folds being, like, this jokey larrikin writing punk rock for sissies, that he just is able to be like, you know what, I'm actually a fucking songwriter. He'd been attempting to write a song about this for ages Mm. it's been something he wanted to write a subject he wanted to write on but he was he just couldn't quite make it happen i think another member of the band was the one who actually came up with the chorus and the and the melody and he kind of just went god damn it okay like we've we've got something here now but it was a bit of a curse for the band that this song got as big as it did because the band as a band I get the impression, would much rather be playing the brand of songs that they that we talked about with them in the past, like your punk rock for sissy stuff, smashing it out on the piano. But instead, the song that made them household names and absolute sensations everywhere was this deeply personal, really kind of sad and particularly personally sad for Ben kind of song that they then had to keep dragging up again and again, often in contexts that were just really weird. There's a one story that he tells about performing this for a commercial radio station and the host actually asking, so who, you know, which one member of the band had to get the abortion or so shit like that. And, you know, like having it to be yeah. dredged up like that. And so now they just don't play it live. That's fair. Uh, or at least, you know, based on the time when whoever uh, wrote the info that I'm, that I'm taking this from, they haven't written yeah. it. They haven't been playing it live. They certainly don't play it live much if they do still uh, play it or will play it in the future. Who knows? We talked about what the song's about skirtingly, but I want to go to actually what Ben has said on record about the song. On Ben Fold's Live, he explained that people asked me what the song's about, and he was asked about it a lot, and he didn't want to make a big, hairy deal out of it, as he says, because he just wanted the song to speak for itself. But it is about a time when he was in high school and himself and his girlfriend had to get an abortion, and it was a really, really sad thing. And he didn't really want to write a song from any kind of political standpoint or to make a statement. He just wanted to reflect what it felt like. And really, I think that's the beauty of the song. And it's just telling a story. Like, whenever there's any fucking art or media that involves an abortion or the discussion of an abortion or the discussion of an unwanted pregnancy that you don't have an abortion for, everybody on every side gets fucking uppity about it. Uh If you make any sort of... Even if it's not a political thing. I remember, like, fucking... There's a dumb, jokey 2000s movie. That movie knocked up with Seth Rogen and Catherine Heigl. Yeah. And they had the unwanted pregnancy. They carry it to term, and that's the point of the movie. And they only jokingly mention, not even jokingly, there's one of the roommates says, you should get an abortion. And he's like, no, I wouldn't do that. It's her choice. She wants to keep it, blah, blah, blah. And both people in America, there was outrage from the pro-life and pro-choice groups being like, how dare they do this? Like, everybody gets angry. And it is a very personal yeah. Topic and there oh, definitely. is yeah. I was going through the lyrics. I've listened to this numerous times, but combed through the lyrics properly, seeing it all. That one bit, the lyric where he says, "Can't you see? It's not me you're dying for." Now she's feeling more alone than she ever has before, and that is like I think that's just like this fucking brutally self-destructive thing to include in a song or writing to effectively take on the persona of a character who's like feeling bad for the child that's not going to exist. Saying, "It's not me you're dying for." Like, yeah. she wants to have this abortion kind of thing. When you're a teenager, you are selfish. But to include that in the lyric, paint you as this, like, wretched fucking person, to ever to ever think that is so vulgar. Well, need I like, say, the chorus of this song yeah, is, she's a, a brick, brick and, and I'm, I'm drowning, drowning slowly. Yeah. Do, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's it, so easy and wonderful to judge that. Yeah, but you. But the beautiful thing about that is when you step back and you look at what's actually happening there is you've just you've just been drawn into the story. Yeah, exactly. You've just been drawn into interacting yeah, with I, these characters. Because I'm sure it's a very sensitively written song. And the thing is, if you're a teenager and you got your partner pregnant, like if you're a male teenager and you got your partner pregnant, and then like they got the abortion, you would have these emotions that would that would be fucking. Oh, I have to go through this. 
and you're like, I have to go through this and I have yeah. to get money and I have to, talk to like pay for this or I have to do this or anything like that. And you feel these obligations that you, that you would then be like, oh, it's her fault. You're a moron when you're a teenager. Like, the average teenager is a fucking moron. Mm. But, no when you're, but yeah. also when you're placed in any kind of time of, of emotional duress, you're not going to behave like a reasonable you know, person yeah. ra- ra- Rationality goes out the window. It does. Mm. And, and, like, and on top of that, I, I think it, even no matter what the circumstances were, particularly when you're that young, you, you're just dealing with a hugely emotional event at a time where you don't have much control or agency. And so all the stuff right. about the parents and, you know, like... It's Wait. time to tell the truth, you yeah. know, son, and all that stuff is like, well, that's what, like, pushes you around as, and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. So zoom out just a little bit. This is how good the song is because it we we get so invested mm. in the situation yeah. and the people involved. Yeah. I always talk about, you know, with some songs, this is not necessarily just a song. It's short fiction. This is This really is. Like, it really it, creates a world. It reminds me of Raymond Carver. Just in terms of like, here's a slice of life, and we're going to draw you into the truth of this situation and the emotions that live here. Mm. And it's just really masterfully written musically. It sounds beautiful as well. Oh, totally. it, it's really amazing. I was going like, to say, it's insane. Like, yeah. it, as anybody who's examined Ben Fold's career as he's gone on knows that he can write very beautiful songs. Like, like his solo stuff and stuff like that. He knows yeah. how to write very beautiful oh, music. Yeah, it's remarkable. But it's showing off here, like perhaps one of the earlier times in the trio format where he is like, you know. I, I can compose beauty and just like the strings going in for the bass and just like yeah, obvi- the piano yeah. work. It's a really beautifully sounding song. And Obviously, yeah. all of the focus is on Ben Folds. It's Ben Folds 5. But he has never had better people to play music with than Robert Sledge and Darren Jesse. Mm. Look at their normal setup, right? So big pounding piano, smashing drums, and then just big thick electric bass. But they are so adaptable that they are easily able to take a song like this and go the complete other way. So in this song, Robert Sledge is not only playing double bass, but he's got a bow. And it's got that very kind of orchestral feel to it. And like a double bass sounds beautiful normally, but to have it bowed and like letting those really low notes kind of ring out in contrast with like the low end of the piano, which Ben uses so much... That's beautiful. Meanwhile, Darren Jesse has moved from sticks over to brushes. He's got that pizzazz where he can really rustle up something nice on the snare and, you know, occasionally accentuate with the cymbals and have like a little gasp of hi-hat here and there and stuff like that. It's still playing into the rhythm of the song, but it never feels like drawn back or like boring or... It's just like, all right, you just be quiet while Ben plays, okay? Mm-hmm. No. Both of them make really strong contributions musically to this song. And I think that's why I, I am so enamored with Ben Folds 5. Like, Ben Folds is one of my heroes. He's a, like, just one of those songwriters that, with, a, I think. Every single album he has ever put out across Ben Folds 5, across his solo records, everything. There's at least one song on every album where I went, fuck, I wish I wrote that. Mm. It's worth pointing out that, like, it also caused a real interesting wave inside the fan base. Because the, the people yeah. who were already on side for Ben Folds were on side for a completely different brand of music. This yeah, is totally. kind of very similar now that I'm saying it to Green Day's Time of Your Life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause, absolutely. Because on one side, you've got the dedicated fans that know them for doing something completely different. And then in comes the new wave that want them to do this kind of this misery song. Yeah. Um, There's and- a few ballads on the album, like uh, a few sad, like slower songs. Yeah. yeah and, from and Smoke. From- yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would kind of become more of a focus on what ended up being... Uh, at the time, the final Ben Folds 5 album, uh, the unauthorised biography of Reinhold Nesner. The big single from that was Army, which, mm. you know, is like kind of big and bombastic and stuff like that. But that's more of a deviation from what the rest of that record is like. That mm. is generally very constrained and like very mature and like self-reflective and stuff like that. So... I think they they kind of learnt a lesson on this record and then they kind of adapted that into what the next record would be. Mm. And then when they reconvened in 2012 and they did The Sound of the Life and the Mind, they were able to kind of bridge that again and have like a couple of more fun, upbeat songs, but also acknowledge that in the time between those albums, that's 12 years, 12, 13 years, right? In that time, Ben Folds became an even bigger star as a solo artist 
and again became known for a lot of ballads so stuff like The Luckiest and stuff like Still Fighting It and yeah like stuff that really reflects like the maturity uh, and the progression of his songwriting everything that happened with Ben Fold's career you can split into pre-brick and post-brick like that's how seminal and important this song is in Ben Fold's entire body of work yeah I think and I think like the the fans kind of reflect that, that pre and post yeah. kind of thing as well. I want to just highlight a couple of other beautiful moments or things about yeah, the absolutely. writing of the song, like the fact I never picked up on before that it's just heartbreaking about it is I really get the sense that the character wanted to break up with this girl prior to this happening. The the climax where he says, like, I'm tired of lying. Mm. Like, I really feel like everything's breaking down, not because of this event, but this is just something that happened Mm. and was made more tragic by the fact that this probably was a doomed relationship to start with, which is just, like, classic teenagers right yeah. like, you'd, but, you'd, like but, you know, but like obviously you're not going to abandon break up with this person at this point right like, you've you got to stick it out which is why you know you get lines like she's a brick and I'm drowning, drowning slowly, slowly you know yeah. one of my favourite ones that just kind of hits me so hard is just the line she's balled up on the couch when he goes to her house yeah it's just showing and not telling in just the most perfect way because you picture this other person and you know exactly in the context of the song what, what it means to be in that position and to have that image in your head and also just like it's a subtle one but the line of day after Christmas has a special significance for Ben Folds when he was writing it because apparently that year he had to sell everything he got for Christmas in order to cover the costs um, mm. so the, the, the Christ, Christmas being part of that song uh, has a deep personal significance for Ben's own personal context. Masterpiece! Masterpiece. Masterpiece. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Just absolutely wonderful song and probably better than you remember it being when you take it apart and look Which at it. Which says a lot because I loved this song. Yeah. Mm. I still do. But it's one of those songs where it's easy because it's, you know, when you play something on the radio, it's that easy. Much. Yeah. It's, it's e- easy to forget. Yeah. It's easy to make it as disposable as everything else you hear because mm. it's part of a track list and that's the nature of that thing. But when you actually take it apart and, and scrutinise it, it's just like, wow. Mm. At number 11, it's those lovable lads from Liverpool, your friends and mine, the one, the only, you two. This is the sweetest fucking thing. is the sweetest thing that comes in at number 11 in the 1998 hottest 100 you're having fun i'm having a fucking blast (laughs) my friend okay so this is the single from youtube's greatest hits compilation which was uh separated into two cds Um, of course it was yeah, well, sorry, man. sorry, I'll be good. <laughs> the good one and the bad one. <laughs> Must have been a pretty short first disc. <laughs> I will murder you. <laughs> let's just let's just show it. Hold, hold, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Steady. <laughs> like when it fucking calls for a circle pit. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> that one like shirtless bald guy in the pit was just like, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, calm down. <laughs> and he'd always be the first one that gets fucking boomed. Yeah, well, good. at that point, people are waiting for an opportunity. Yeah. Oh, man. As soon as this starts, I'm getting that bald guy. Yeah. One of the early instances of a video going viral in my high school was video from Kill Switch Engage. Oh, no, so, yeah. Yeah, do you remember this one? Yeah. Um, Kill Switch Engage playing at Soundwave 2008, where they'd opened up for a wall of death, right? We've all been in a wall of death. We, we all know how this works. 
Everyone academically, does. I do. Yes, <laughs> academically, you've you've been in many academic walls of doubt. Yeah, I've seen diagrams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen the schematics. Yes, quite. So everyone moves off to either one side or the other, and when the shit kicks in, uh, everyone runs at one another. I know, I know, this is the uncoolest old man shit in the world, but God, that just looks sore. Oh like, man, you know, look, how, some... look how hurt you'd get. Yeah. <laughs> the Think of the boys. bruises. God, you'd really get hurt. Anyway. <laughs> The point was, someone had, someone someone had gotten whatever the fuck they were filming on, probably a digital camera or some shit, and everything was separated. Are you ready? Are you ready? And there was a couple of, like stragglers in the middle just being fuckheads. It was just like, and then the shit kicked in. One of those brave dudes in the middle does a handstand. And that's just as everyone is clap crushing in. And that's the last we ever see of that guy. There's not anything cool to come out of that. You're just saying, hey, everyone, knee me in the head. Like, basically, yes. Other stuff like... We're talking about it. Shut up, Leonard. So to bring the attention back to the kill switch engage of Ireland, <laughs> the boys from you too. Uh, and their famous Wall of Death song. Their Wall the of Death song. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> When this shit drops! <laughs> dun, 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 and everyone's going back. And as soon as Molly goes, he's like, oh! oh, we need to sync that up. We need to get Wall of Death footage and fuck it. Oh, yes. So, they had a best of, this, best of the 80s and a best of the 90s. Okay, we're back here. CDs. Seamless. Seamless. Mm. Two discs. Yeah. And on the second disc which was the best of the 90s, they included all the shit that they... All the big singles from the 90s and included a new song to go along with it and that song is the sweetest thing. It was a standalone single which has long since become a beloved part of the U2 archives in its own right. And in my opinion, deservedly so. It's a very sweet simple, beautiful pop song that accentuates uh, what I love about the, I guess, more restrained, not, not like throwing my arms around the world like rock god-eccentric Bono. Just kind of more like honest and like vulnerable Bono. Like the kind you get in With or Without You or in A Little While or, you know, some of those sort of songs. I love In A Little While. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic no, or no, not. I, but I would never... I, w- I don't need to be sarcastic about you two because I can wear my feelings on my sleeve. Mm. I love that song. Isn't this also dated? This is a re-recording mm. of this song. It, originally, it was a B-side in 1987. Yeah, it, go, it goes a while back. So it's like an old slash new song. Yeah. Uh, kind of like what uh, R.E.M. did with uh, the song All the Right Friends, which was originally uh, like a minor B-side that they'd recorded in the 80s with different lyrics, but like same sort of basic structure. And then they took it and they reworked it and they added it to the Vanilla Sky soundtrack. In I the early two thousand, yeah, I, I knew, I know the song. Yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. know Which version I know now? Yeah, um, you probably, probably know, know the, the version that's one. on the Vanilla Sky soundtrack, oh. which also ended up on their greatest hits album in time. Well, that's was, the one I know then. Yeah, 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 yeah from ninety eight to two thousand three. I'm always fascinated by that, like the fact that you can have such a prolix archive to work with, and there's so much to work with where they can just pick something out and be like, "Hey, we never really did much with this. Let's see what we can do with it now." <laughs> that's a huge hit. It's got kind of that major chord, like, uh, uplifting kind of... It reminds me a bit of, like, Angel of Harlem in a kind of way, like, with some of those, like, high notes and stuff like that. It's one of the first songs I remember really loving of U2's as a kid, because, I like, I remember this video. Like, very recognisable um, Yeah, video. very recognisable video, which is about the time that Bono forgot his wife's birthday and wanted to do a whole display of his love to Alison Houston. Yeah, Alison Houston, beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful Alison Houston, uh including her favorite band at the time Boyzone, uh mm. rocking up and singing. Uh I'm not sure if they actually sing on the record, but they are definitely in the video mm. and there's like uh, elephants and like a huge procession and stuff like that. And I've always loved that. That's one of my favorite YouTube videos by far because you're sitting in front of at the time, and still to this day, one of the most recognisable rock stars of all time. And he's just presenting himself as this total dork. This total Elvis Costello-esque. He looks heaps like Elvis he Costello. Really yeah. He just takes the hat off and shit. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. 
you know, kind of presenting himself, you know, in a vulnerable light. And, like, I, I love that side of, of Bono when he's able to move away from, like, grandstanding or, like, you know, are you with us? Like, all that stuff is great and it always works in the, in the context of, like, a big U2 performance. But to have something as, like, direct and intimate, like, you can't break eye contact with the dude in the video. Like, and I've always, I've always kind of found that interesting, like, from a music video standpoint. Like, I think that's a really it's really well shot and like it, like the pov is a really interesting way of shooting it and yeah like i think this is a, a really really strong song and the fact that it was around for ages just kind of whirling around in in kind of like the back archives and then and never really saw the light of day until like quite a while later like i'm really glad that they took the time to really go back and, and see what they were able to do with it I, I'm fully aware that I'm the U2 apologist in the room, and I will continue to be so. But uh, someone has to be. Yeah, I, I reckon so because I'm gonna pull up my umbrella and just wait for the ensuing shitstorm as soon as I close my mouth. I quite like this song. I think you know it's it's always been like drizzle. One of the like nicest sort of pop radio friendly U2 songs. It doesn't yeah. have it doesn't. Have, it's not with or without you in terms of that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a very nice song. I didn't know that it was an older track, and I went back and listened to the older version. I think I kind of prefer that. Right. It's a little bit rougher, and I feel like I can hear early U2's post-punk influence a bit more, and there's something nice about that. The video makes me a little uneasy, because it's about an event that happened 11 years <laughs> beforehand, because he missed her birthday when, when they were recording, recording Joshua, Joshua Tree. Tree. And so for me, bringing that back up to make the video, the, I don't know, obviously... They are still in a relationship at that point, and their love has. They still are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm not calling to question their relationship, but there's, there's something strikes me as hollow. I think their relationship's one of the longest lasting without a lineup change. So. <laughs> something strikes me as hollow about bringing that thing from 11 years ago to be the video and and make this the big story and the big gesture of all of it. I don't know. It's a very impressive video and it's fun to watch. But like, as I watch it, there's something niggling in the back of my head. That's like, is that weird to be like, look at this big thing, even though it was 11 years ago. I don't know. Yeah. And she's fine. She's got like Bono money. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, in my head, I um, remember thinking this is one of the handful of U2 songs that I really enjoy. Like I like, like with or without you, Sunday, bloody Sunday, couple of the earlier stuff from the first record I don't might have time for but I'm obviously really not a big U2 guy at all Kel surprise yes but I remember in my head I'm like oh it's the sweetest thing I can't wait for to listen to that song I've listened to it for a number of years and I was watching the video and listening to it I was like in my head this was much better I remember th thinking this was a very sweet beautiful song and had been just like oh man who can escape that kind of like just the the oh, oh the sweetest thing and be like ah oh, it's so lovely and then listening back to it I'm just like I don't really like this. In my head, I'm like, I love that song. And I'm just like, this song sucks. I don't really like this song. And not in the way that, like... I'm, and then I listened to it a couple more times, and I'm just like, man, I misremembered the joy of that. I feel like I don't know, man. Maybe a, I, 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 I can't have heard the old one instead, right? Like, I no, yeah. no. I reckon there's, like, a blowout. there's a clip of the song that you hear more often that is more just about the, like, oh, like yeah, you get the maybe, grabs. Yeah. I don't know whether it's in something or, yeah, or maybe whatever. Yeah, just the... Could be blue skies near Bono. <laughs> um, <laughs> the real lyrics. Oh, I wonder if his wife calls him Bono. <laughs> That'd be hectic. I wonder if he doesn't respond Only in the bedroom. to calling him Paul. <laughs> Paul, yeah. Like, like, The Edge's wife calls him The Edge. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Paul, could you come and get this? Paul, Paul. Bono. <laughs> yes? Yeah. yeah, I think I'm... The, Fuck you, Bono. The, the edges, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I remember really loving this song. Let's do it. Really didn't care for it. Kind of like... Which, in a way, sucks. It's, it's just something I, I have one less deal. I know it's like <laughs> not a significant amount of pleasure no longer in my life. One fewer YouTube song that you like. Yeah. One, one when that count hits zero, that's uh, when you die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't really fucking care for it. I thought I loved it. No. I wanted everyone to go first because I'm going to fucking launch. Oh, yeah, mate. go for it. This song, man. He loves it. I was, I think I was like you, Andrew. I was like, maybe the sweetest thing is okay. And then it started. Oh, you, like, you were complete. You were already Ooh. a few levels down and you went even farther, I think. No, I, <laughs> everything about this song annoys me. Musically, the way it starts off with that piano and the, like, 
That's that's a cringe. Cringe one. Bono coming in then going the it's like Whoa, danger Big already wolf. it's like things are starting to flash off in the distance or whatever and then he actually starts singing properly and it's like Bono why are you trying to be Bowie or why are you trying to do a poor impression of David Bowie does anyone else get that Has I Bono... don't get that I don't get that either oh just so I'm, many I'm... affectations on the voice go back and listen it sounds like he's like wouldn't it be funny if I got up at karaoke and did this song in the style of Bowie hmm. that's kind of what it sounds like he's going on there I agree with you, Nathan, except I push it further. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you are bringing up this thing from 11 years ago, and he's doing it in a way as to say, like, yeah, how good was I? I messed up as a as a husband, but look what I did to make up for it, everyone. <laughs> Ain't love the sweetest thing? As a line on its own, that is in the fucking bin, but it's not, isn't my love the sweetest thing, is what he's really saying. This is a Hallmark card that Bono wrote to his fucking self, then mailed it out, only to get it back and go, uh. uh That's what this song, yeah. right? It's just showy, self-congratulatory. He's like, I know a good hubby. It's, it's, I am so mad that he found love and happiness. <laughs> And it's okay, I can say this shit about you two. It's not as if when we sometimes, you know, go hard on an Australian band that no one's heard of and it's kind of like, oh, you know, it kind of sucks they were trying no, their best. Okay no, it's okay to take shots at you two. No, 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 I'm punching way up. <laughs> yeah. And I know that, like, okay, yeah, it, it may be naff to make fun of you two, but I'm being very specific. There are some U2 songs that are okay. This is absolutely not one of them. There is not anything about this song that doesn't just fucking irk me. This is exactly the kind of love song that Nick Cave doesn't write. <laughs> you know, we're talking about love songs being great when they have a little bit of pain in them. There is no pain here. It's just Bono patting himself on the back for being a good sure, boy. He's patting himself too hard and, and smart. I hope so. <laughs> I hope he's flagellating for bringing this thing into the world and having to have me listen to it. You remember, like, a Ooh. couple of eps ago, I was like, I'm going to start going hard on one song per ep, and I've clearly not followed through, but I'm glad Adam's picking yeah. up. Oh, you know what else? You know what else about this song? The, the other thing that annoys me about this song is a personal historical thing, but, like, I grew up in the Anglican community, and this was every single, like, mid-40s Anglican church-attending couple's favourite song that they dedicated to one another. It's just because it's... And, and no song could fuck less! <laughs> right? <laughs> So, I don't know. Um, Hail Satan, <laughs> fuck this song. I needed that. I'm, no, glad, that's I'm glad we got a harsh one. We haven't had a harsh yeah. one in a while. <sighs> it reminds me back in the heady days of Lemon. Lemon! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there are other U2 songs I don't particularly like. I yeah. feel cleansed. We last talked about them, um, the Hold Me, Thrill Me, Batman Clooney one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hold me, <laughs> thrill me, thrill me, Batman Clooney. Batman Clooney. <laughs> For that one? No, no it, it, was, it, was, it was Van Kilmer. V- Van Kilmer. Van Brain. Hold me, Kilmer. Batman. Yeah, there you uh, go. Yeah. Well, Batman yeah, Trauma. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I like that song. It's sort of as if I out and out hate you too, but this song? Mm. <laughs> this is democracy, people. That's what we want. And you think if you're writing a song about your wife that she'd she'd feature in it in the lyrics somewhere as a mention? It's mainly about him. Look at the mm. lyrics. It's mainly mentioning him. And even when he does mention her, it, he's there. Yeah. He doesn't even he doesn't he doesn't even say my wife, which you could have beaten Borat <laughs> to by years <laughs> if he did that. <laughs> he really should have done that in the song, I think. Oh, one good thing about this mm. is that the the proceeds of it went to charity, Children for Chernobyl, which is Ali Houston's favorite charity. Yeah, that's and nice. that's part of Bono's deal. So, mm. okay, some good came of it, but was, was it, enough? it worth it? I think you'd have to ask the children of Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> Adam prefers dead kids buncher. <laughs> if the shoe fits. <laughs> that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Thanks, FBI, for having us. And thank you so goddamn much for listening. You truly are the sweetest, sweetest thing. Triggered. Before we get out of here, we are going to pick our favourites and our least favourites and continue that ever-continuing story of carryover champs and carryover chumps. Now, Adam! Yeah. <laughs> New chump. Oh! Ooh. 
Yeah, I've sold the you van. You sold the sold van. The van. You sold the van. It's out of here. Wow. No. I, that did you get down much by for the river, it? I imagine. I imagine you didn't get much. Swim to nil. Yeah. <laughs> I, I traded. I traded down. <laughs> yeah. Well, he got the sweetest thing, which you yeah. New chump. Maybe because it's just. The, the the anger of it is yeah, yeah. fresh. Angry reaction. You've got to trust your, trust your emotions. Mm. But I actually think that compare, if I was to compare the two songs back to back, there's just there's more times that I more acutely get annoyed yeah, by right. the sweetest thing. It's kind of yeah. mind-blowing, yeah. but that's amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm and, what's your, and what's your fave for this app? Uh, my fave for this app is Brick. Um, mm. And my champ remains Teardrop. Mm. Oh, Okay. Um, yeah, my least favorite is the sweetest thing, but I, I, I just thought it was crappier than I remembered it, so it's not my chump or anything. That's the remaining Brand Band 3000. My favorite is fucking tricky, man. I'm tossing up between Brick and Dr. Worm, because mm-hmm. Brick is objectively more, a more beautiful song, but yeah. I had a lot of fun with Dr. Worm, so that's going to be my fave. My yeah. champ remains Teardrop. Say yes to Joy. Excellent. Mm. Yeah, yes, unfortunately, sweetest thing is my, is my least favorite, but I can and I will, and I recently have defended that song. I was there. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you did a very good job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like, uh, I don't know how I'd go in debate class. You'd probably yell less than me. Yeah, Adam mm. Adam would have got kicked out then. So. <laughs> I don't want to be in that debate class. <laughs> the whole debate's a sham. We should be debating this. This is too important. <laughs> Fuck, man. Come on, there are kids dying in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> and Adam's like, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. All the adjudicator's like, whoa. whoa. He, <laughs> he just didn't need to say that he didn't care about kids dying. It was... <laughs> like, he went out of his way well, to yeah, say that. Really offered that up. Don't create a straw man argument. It's not about kids in Africa. <laughs> oh mercy! What's your fave though? Well, a it's brick, mm. and mm. b I got a new champ, baby. Oh, nice. 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 Uh, my least favorite uh, is the sweetest thing, but I will keep Metallica's "The Unforgiven 2 as my chump. I think my favorite is Doctor Worm. Good call, Rabbi. Ball. I mean. You'd have to be a madman to replace Teardrop with Dr. Worm, right? Are you a madman? Are you a madman? Are you a madman? Are you a madman? Why not? Yay! <laughs> champ and it's Dr. Worm. Yeah. Hell yeah, bitch! Nathan Madman Harrison. Take that oh. serious music criticism. Yeah. Friendship with sincere music over. Now Dr. Worm is my best friend. <laughs> what do you think of Teardrop? Well, I know a better song, so... <laughs> well, we got a little bit of work to do before we get to the top... 10 of 1998. The next time you f- hear from us, we are going to be remixing the 1998 Hottest 100. We are going to be bringing in a song from 1998 that did not make the countdown that we think should have. We would love to hear from you and uh, hear what your postal votes would have been. Feel free to get in touch and let us know what that might be. Also worth saying, uh, we're putting the call out for any kind of feedback that you've had yeah um, you know throughout the course of the season any time where you've gone to speak and tell us something and then realize that we weren't actually in the room with you yeah the kind of things that we want we to get that a lot surprisingly room. please hit us up the the usual places you can get us on twitter which is at hottest 100s facebook hottest hundreds and thousands the email is hottest 100s and 1000s at gmail.com hit us up with any sort of feedback write-in votes if you just think we're cool guys and that also fucking welcome well yeah. we need their attention and so. also like you can uh, you can you can write it down or if you want to record something on your phone we'll pop yeah. it in the app yeah we Please can do. chop it up so it makes it sound like you like brand van 3000 yeah that's true so next time you hear from us we'll be having a lot of fun with our remix and our jokes and having a fun app and then after that david we have a very hot 10 coming oh in. Oh my goodness possibly the hottest 10 it's going to be decidedly real people on behalf of Andrew the Edge McDonald. Good night. Madman Harrison mm-hmm. and Dead Kids Puncher. I'm not sorry for yelling. <laughs> I'm not sorry about anything. My name is Bono. Everything is good for you. Oh, it's on.